0: Welcome to The Dose of Caesar, the podcast that runs experiments, explores new ways of thinking, and talks to the most interesting people that I've met in my life. Today, I am honored to have two guests. Uh, my first guest today is Dr. Victor Signs, who is chair of the Department of Educational Leadership and Policy at the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Signs has a PhD in higher education and organizational change, as well as a master's degree in education from the from UCLA. He also has a bachelor's degree in mathematics and a master's degree in public affairs from the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Signs is the founder of an award-winning initiative at UT Austin called Project Males. This project launched a statewide initiative called the Texas Education Consortium for Male Students of Color. My second guest today is Dr. Emmett Campos. Dr. Campos is the director of Project Males and of the the Texas Education Consortium for Male Students of Color. He serves as chief operations officer for all Project Males and consortium activities and is responsible for communications and engagement with key partners. Dr. Campos earned his PhD in cultural studies in education curriculum and instruction from the University of Texas at Austin and also holds a degree in comparative literature from the University of Wisconsin, Madison. Together, Dr. Science and Dr. Campos lead a summer study abroad program based in Puebla, Mexico. Their program introduces students to emergent research on Latinx identity in K-12 and higher education, focused on the topic of masculinity as it is as it is theorized and practiced in the US and Mexico. Dr. Science, Dr. Campos, that was a very long intro, but I wanted the people to know what you guys do and um, the amazing work you guys do. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Great to be here Sasa. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, this is um this is uh, my this is my first time having two guests on the show, so I'm going to try my best to juggle my questions. Um but I I don't know either of you and I'd like to begin by asking um each of you when you were 13 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? And we could start with Dr. Science if if that's okay.
1: When I was 13 years old, uh I wanted to be an architect when I grew up. And that was, uh, you know, I was a math and science oriented person and I like constructing things. And I remember I designed a whole uh, additional uh, add on to my parents' house and <laughs> my dad kind of looked at me and patted me on the head. said, like, yeah, good job, son. <laughs> but, you know, it was uh, it was more of a aspirational, to say the least um anyway so i yeah that was my i remember thinking very clearly oh, um, architecture and then that morphed into architectural engineering and then it morphed into uh structural and mechanical engineering which is ultimately what i started majoring in at ut austin and uh, i did that for a year or two and you know i i, I didn't it didn't stick i i, I for whatever reason I, I i was doing fine in classes i had you know i was already starting to get into my coursework my major sequence courses and you know all the kind of uh, uh autoCAd drawing and, and other sort of computer assisted design courses you know I, I, for whatever reason it just did not appeal to me I, I was more conceptual more focused on on the actual design aspect of it and you know maybe i should have stuck with architecture who knows but but bottom line is i, I did not finish my mechanical engineering degree i stuck in I ended up with a math degree, so mm. I didn't fall too far away from that realm. But, but uh, anyway, so that's my my brief answer to your question. Gotcha. What about you, Emmett?
2: Wow, you know, at thirteen, man, I wasn't so focused on my future. I was thinking about girls and sports and and uh, those <laughs> kinds of things. So, uh, but I guess if I were to think back, uh, you know, I had a deal. Who uh, Jesse Campos, who was an attorney, uh, I didn't believe he was finishing up his. Uh, He was undergrad at St. Mary's University and then went on to complete his law degree at St. Mary's uh, Law School. And so, you know, kind of he was kind of my role model um, and in a way and kind of guided me along. So, you know, I was I was aspiring to be an attorney. That was my my plan. Mm I got accepted to to UW. And, uh, you know, it was there kind of where I cut my political teeth. Right. Uh, If you know the history of Madison, Wisconsin and UW Madison has a long history of social activism, particularly anti-war activism. And when we got there in the mid 70s, excuse me, that was kind of the end of some of those social movements. Although, you know, we continued to do our part as Chicanos and uh, Chicanas there at UW Madison Uh, formed uh, Mecha. And uh, and then we, we got involved in a lot of other activities, Central American support uh, work and, and anti-war work uh, focused more on Central America. So that kind of shifted me a little bit to mm. wanting to pursue a different kind of uh, career. Although, you know, you can do some social activist work with, with a law degree, uh, but, you know, I began to shift my interest to comparative lit, literature, history, and then, uh, you know, uh, when I landed here at UT, that was my plan to earn a PhD in third World ethnic studies with uh, Jose Limon, who is one of the professors here uh, who led that program back when, and uh, ended up, uh, you know, doing a couple of rounds of grad school and finally with a PhD in cultural studies and ed. So, uh, you know, at some point, you know, I've always been an educator. I always loved teaching, uh, whether mm-hmm. I was, you're talking about ethnic third-world studies or literatures or, or you know, uh, always working with uh, youth programs. And so I was always, I guess, destined to be a teacher, an educator. So that's, you know, kind of landed uh, where I needed to be, right, uh, after after that uh, that experience in Madison gotcha. and here at U2. So, so uh, I'm glad, glad what I'm doing. I, I think I'm the luckiest guy in the world, right? Uh, leading a great project, working with some great folks, and uh, with Dr. Dr. Signs as well uh, as my colleague. So,
0: Dr. Campos, when was the first time? I mean, you talked about it a little. You went abroad to a to another country. Or you spend an extended time in another country, abroad. How old were you, and where'd you go?
2: Well, you know, when you live in Texas, man, you you spend a lot of time uh, with you know, our sister country down south, right? My family is mm-hmm. from. Been here forever since you know before Texas with Texas, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I got the other side, the Campos, who came across during the Mexican Revolution, right? And so you know I am under the border, La Frontera, right? And that was our.
0: Gotcha. I think uh, I think we're having some technical difficulties.
2: I don't really okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be my internet connection. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but I did get that you were going to Mexico because that's where a uh, part of your your other family was was um, located, correct?
2: Correct, correct, gotcha. correct. And so we traveled, you know, to the border towns, all the border towns. You know, uh, get our, uh, my dad liked to get us fixed a cabrito down in uh, Nuevo Laredo and mm. Matamoros, so we go down there and check out the markets. But it really wasn't until I got out of undergrad in Madison in the mid '80s that uh, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, uh, we thought you know, graduating uh, from college and getting ready to pursue a career we might not have an opportunity to do to travel. So uh, and we wanted to travel extensively. So we went on this six month trip to Mexico and that was transformative. I mean, it was just I mean, the fronteta is beautiful and it's got a lot, you know, uh, it's a particular kind of culture, Mexican culture. You know, Mexico is a large country. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's regional. So, you know, you have different cultural experiences, indigenous communities, food. And it really wasn't until I traveled to interior Mexico, right. Uh, Traveling up and down the Pacific coast, the Caribbean, uh, central Mexico, Mexico city, North and South uh, Chiapas. I mean, it was just uh, transformative and and that's not a, uh, you know, uh, that's not hyperbole because it really was, was amazing experience. And, the, the beauty of the country, the diversity of the country, you know, the people were were, were wonderful and welcoming. And, you know, I worked on my Spanish a little bit.
1: Mm.
2: It was just a great experience. Right. And, and uh, you know, it just, it was eye opening. And so, uh, you know, uh, when we moved back to Texas, you know, I, I took advantage of, you know, we w- went and revisited some of those cities that we had uh, visited in that six month trip back in the mid eighties. Right. So over the last, uh, since 90, when we moved back to Boston, you know, I managed to travel to a number of other cities, revisit some of those cities. And so, uh, so uh, I've also been fortunate enough in some of the jobs that I've had to travel to Brazil, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rio Grande del Sur, Porto Alegre. I traveled down there. Uh, that was also, uh, uh, that was part of the work I was doing with uh, IC Sport Institute, another research institute. And then, I also got to travel when I was leading an international studies program at Austin Community College. I got to travel to China, right? Oh, got to, wow. go to Shanghai and Beijing. And, and you know, all those experiences are just, uh, you know, you experience new cultures, new experiences. Uh, you know, you get to see the U.S. from the outside, right? You know, we yeah. have a tendency to be in a bubble here, uh, kind of yeah. ethnocentric uh, kind of perspectives and attitudes about other uh, uh, countries, so so you know you get outside of the country and you get to see the U.S. in a whole different perspective. So it's not only about the experiences of traveling and everything that comes with that, and and experiencing other cultures, but it's also about seeing the U.S. from a different perspective, right? Uh, from a glo- more global perspective. So, yeah, and, and now you know we get to to Dr. Sides and I get to take students to share in those kinds of experiences, right? Uh, in Mexico, so. You know, I got to go to Costa Rica a couple of years ago uh, and do a, a Maymester then, but I've uh, really been looking forward to trying to make this Mexico thing happen. We had plans to go last year, but uh, COVID nineteen happened. So, so I'm excited about uh, taking ten new students with us to Puebla and have them share in the diversity and the beauty of Mexico. Well, uh, uh, that's Mexico and Puebla, Mexico City.
0: Yeah, just so is this the first uh, time you guys are going to be going to Puebla?
1: Well, we went two years ago. We we uh, we were, did an advanced trip to uh, to visit the region to get to know some of the key collaborators there that we would wanting to work with. We visited several universities in Puebla and in Mexico City. Uh, but yeah, so we we had, you know, kind of an advanced trip, and obviously, as Emmett said, we had hoped to be there last summer before COVID canceled everything, and you know, this summer, here at UT Austin, we're the only faculty-led program that's still standing after, you know, after all these months, and uh, mm. we're still actually, in knock on wood, because, you know, something, <laughs> anything can still happen, but, you know, we're planning to be there uh, this summer, and actually, in less than four weeks now, we'll be there, so... We're very excited about the prospect of uh, of this finally happening. Um, you know, as I said earlier, Cesar, uh, before you uh, we, st- we started the podcast, I-, I didn't do study abroad as a undergrad. So this is kind of me living vicariously through our undergrad students and, you know, sort of uh, trying to uh, be right there with them and enjoying this really amazing experience that we're we're about to have and, and um, you know it's not going to be uh, exactly what we had drawn up because of COVID. It is going to constrict some of the opportunities to do uh, excursion visits to different uh, cultural sites around the country that we were planning, but that's okay. We're still going to be there. We're going to be immersed. We're going to be working with our partners at Universidad Las Americas and Puebla at UDLAP and and uh, you know, so definitely looking forward to it. You asked Emmett earlier and I'll just respond. My uh, experiences traveling abroad uh, very similar to to Emmett's I grew up also in a border town actually right on the border two miles away from the Rio Grande River and so you know I, I we go pretty much every weekend you know we had a, a housekeeper that that uh, you know was part of my family basically that would pick up drop off every weekend we'd go pick up tortillas and um, cabrito and many other other delicacies you know across the border and um, you know, and to this day, my family still does that, right? So uh, very much engaged in the commerce opportunities, activities that that exist, you know, just living and working uh, along the border. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's that been a big, big part of my, early part of my life for sure. You know, as an adult, I've had opportunities to visit other parts of the world, definitely in Europe, especially. Um, but this would be my first major sort of extended visit to make in this way, like actually living there for, a month, right? And and uh, and working and collaborating with the, the the colleagues down there at UDLAB. So uh, anyway, so that's uh, that's mm. pretty exciting that we're uh, we're about to go on this adventure
0: together. I think I think so, Dr. Campos. Were you going to say something?
2: No, I was just going to say yeah. Uh, the the thing about we're we're uh, kind of uh, not a lot of pressure, right? We're the only faculty-led program. I want to underscore that. Uh, we ended up making it through all those different hoops uh, that we had to jump through and, and finally became the only one. So, you know, we're going to have to represent, mm-hmm. right. Cause we're, we're it, we're under the microscope. So we're going to have to really uh, bring it, but I'm exp- excited about that opportunity. Victor also mentioned uh, Europe and I didn't mention that I also spent some time in the UK, right. And my wife got accepted to study abroad and I went down there to some tutoring and uh, and we had our baby down, baby down there. So another, uh, Experience as well in Europe, and that was uh, got to travel to Rome, travel all over the UK, so that was also a uh, very exciting time as well.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, the, the reason I'm, I'm so interested in your particular program is because, you know, I, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, and I never had the opportunity to go down to Juarez because my parents were very afraid of um, the violence that was going on down there. And my dad would say, ¿para qué quieres ir a Juarez? ¿para qué? <laughs> he was from Juarez. And I would be like, because I want to I know the culture. No, ¿para qué? ¿para qué? <laughs> Um, so I've never gotten the opportunity to, uh, you know, spend time in Mexico and I'd love, um, I, I plan to at least live a year in some, some city in Mexico because I want to get back to, uh, uh, where my family is from. Um, and so let's dive into more of the study abroad program. I wanted to ask you guys, why do you choose to lead a program to Puebla, Mexico? Because you could very well just have chosen to ta- teach a class at UT about, you know, um, masculinity and 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 Mexican history but why was it important to create this program um either of you could answer well
1: i'll say i'll start by saying one you know we were approached and recruited to um to put a proposal together partly because the university is making a concerted effort to get our faculty of color to host and lead more study abroad courses right Mm. and part of that strategy means that we're trying to increase the number of students of color at UT Austin that participate and engage in these kind of co-curricular experiences Um, so that's a big reason one of the big motivations obviously the fact that we chose Mexico you're right we could have been uh, we could have done the course here and certainly have done various different types of courses like this but you know the immersive experience I think is the biggest draw the fact that Mm. We're going to be in Puebla, which is one of the, the, the longest continuously settled regions across the entire Americas, right there in Cholula, Mexico. I mean, that history goes back literally thousands of years uh, to many, many indigenous communities, you know, from literally several thousand years ago. So it is sort of an interesting place uh, of uh of uh, you know a home base of sorts that we've chosen. Uh, we had thought about also Mexico City obviously you know the 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 history there tells itself but um with Puebla we have a a a a geographic area that is a little bit more accessible right because Mexico City being one of the largest cities in the world is just it can be overwhelming whereas Puebla is still a large city almost three million people in the, the greater area um you know nonetheless it's the fourth largest city in Mexico you know, it's still a big urban area, but it's got the history. It's got the, the colonial sort of influence, the religious influence, the indigenous influence. I mean, all of that mezcla in one place, you know, same sort of opportunities would exist in in Mexico City and other places. And also just being that historic area of being continuously settled for thousands of years. Right. So, yeah. And Udlab, literally uh, a few blocks away from where you have this uh, uh, this amazing pyramidal structure that Used to be the gathering place for many of these communities for for you know going back centuries and centuries. So, you know we, we're we're sort of in in some ways contributing or participating in that same type of pilgrimage that mm. so many other communities before us have done as well as we embark on this journey into the heart of Mexico uh, and into uh, the uh, the experience of of uh, you know being immersed in that environment.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Did yeah i'll else? add yeah. yeah i'll add to that um so you know the the course title is latinx identities across the americas right and so you know you can talk about that here and probably have a pretty robust conversation we got some great texts and and uh great readings and but, but you know if you're gonna if you're gonna really truly do justice to something like that you have to take students uh, you know to to uh other parts of the Americas, right? You know, and again, I kind of referenced that earlier about an ethnocentrism when we talk about America, we think about the U.S., right? But there's uh, the Central America, South Americas, and so, you know, this is this is just a way to um, to immerse ourselves in that culture and, and immerse ourselves in those conversations, right? By bringing in other faculty from udlap right? Hopefully, we'll be able to engage with some of the faculty. Maybe less so the students because of COVID-19, but also all the other cultural uh, uh, experiences and, and artistic and cultural uh, experiences that, that we can bring to bear on that conversation around Latinx identities and stuff. So, so we have a lot of planned activities there in Puebla and Cholula, mm-hmm. as Victor was pointing out. Also, Mexico City, right? We still plan to do a couple of excursions to Mexico City, right? And then in, that city alone, of course, it's a metropolis, right? 25 million uh, person Metropolis, and so and there's so much there, so much cultural history and, and artistic history, and, and indigenous communities that right that made up uh, that city right before it was of course colonized by the Spanish. And so we're going to be talking about that and how that history influences our formations as Mexicanos, right, Mexican Americans, Chicanos, Latinx, right. And so we're going to be able to explore that um, much more complexly and fully. Obviously, in in Mexico, uh, Victor also pointed out that you know we're trying to do our part uh, to also because you know we're part of the DDCE, the Division of Diversity and Community Engagement. We're one of one of sixty programs, mm. and so they have efforts to to get more students to travel abroad because you know the numbers out there we're just underrepresented in terms of study abroad programs. Uh, students of color, right? And so we're doing our part to to get. Our students abroad, and to share in those experiences, and so uh, we're one of four programs at EDCE, and uh, we're we're actually the only one that actually made it out of those four EDCE programs. Uh, that they do a China trip, they do a South Africa trip,
0: uh, and they Costa do a Costa Rica, Rica so, uh, one, right? We're gonna do. Yeah, yeah
2: I, I I was fortunate enough. Dr. Eileen Bumpus does that. Uh, she wasn't able to do it for health reasons, and she asked me a couple of years ago to lead that program. So I was able to do that. But yeah, uh, you know, so we're excited about uh, sharing those experiences with students and uh, traveling abroad. And uh, and so, you know, uh, this is just the beginning. Right. Uh, another thing I'll add before I'll, I'll stop is uh, this is also our way of expanding our uh, the programs and the services that we offer at Project Mails right? This is kind of our way of internationalizing Project Mails right? Uh, and so, uh, you know, this is just another step in the building of this program. because on top of the three initiatives, we also have added a new course, a signature course. And then, so we're also adding this main master course. And then we're gonna, we're gonna continue to, to do this and we'll do it next year. And we'll bring in the Oaxaca trip that we had hoped to do last, uh, this year. We weren't able to do that because of COVID-19. And so, And visit the Muxe, uh indigenous uh, communities out there in Oaxaca, right? So uh, wow. uh, that'll be, uh, we'll add that back to the program next year. And uh, who knows, man, you know, we'll continue to build this uh, idea of internationalizing Project Mells. I'd like to go to Cuba, right? That would be my dream as well, to go to Cuba. Yeah, and so maybe we can do that uh, and add on to Puebla and Mexico, and so uh, so we'll see where
0: that goes. Um, you know, I had the opportunity while at UT to actually go study in Havana, Cuba, with uh, Dr. Arroyo, and you definitely have to go; it's it's incredible. Um, um, but just to speak on you, you know, as a student who's been on these study abroad programs with Dr. Moore as well, you, it goes beyond the classroom. The education like never stops. You're you go out to have a meal. Um, you know, at a local Chinese restaurant where people are making, uh, dumplings by hand and the cultural education just continues the entire time you're there. And so if any students hear this, I would say that, you know, one, one of the benefits of going abroad to Puebla, Mexico versus just taking a, a class at UT is that no, even in your leisure time, you're learning so much more, um, about yourself, about your culture, about the United States, which is why I think this is amazing that you guys are doing these programs. Um, and you talked a, lot, a little bit about um, the, the things that you're going to be teaching. I, I know that you are getting, you guys are going to focus on the subject of masculinity, but I wanted to ask you guys if you could give me like one or two specific ideas or topics that you're going to explore with students well abroad. Um, I'm just interested to hear on how like what you're going to explore with them. Well,
1: uh, one one of the topics we're definitely going to explore is constructions of identity development, particularly gender identity. And, you know, we were planning to do a site excursion into Oaxaca to to learn about the mushe, which is a, a, an indigenous uh, community in Oaxaca that uh, practices this idea of a third gender, right? So they, and they've been doing it for generations. Um, and so, wow. you know, that was gonna be an opportunity to really get, uh, you know, directly engaged with a community, an indigenous community that is disrupting our notions of the gender binary in some really provocative ways, ways that often that can defy sort of the very conservative norms of, of places like Mexico and and other parts of the world, certainly the. US included. But you know, just to think way outside the box about how certain indigenous traditions have often valued, this notion of disrupting the binary in these ways. And, you know, in ways that were existed even beyond, even way, way before people came with a critical lens around being more gender inclusive around identity and all that. You know, this was a very natural emergence of the of that culture, right? And so, you know, that's one example of of many uh others that we have we have we have explored. And obviously we haven't yet gone. So I know that other opportunities will present themselves. Another key part of this learning experience is going to be, was going to be our service learning component, right? To be directly engaged in the community of Puebla and Cholula, you know, working with community-based organizations, working with the local community, uh, with young children. Uh, and, And so those opportunities I know are going to be curtailed this go round because of COVID nineteen, but you know we're still going to sort of want to lay the groundwork for future years because I think that's a very big part that experiential learning piece. We, you know, Emma and I, uh, you know, co-teach also a service learning course here at UT Austin through our Project Males work, and uh, you know, so we've had very much a, a strong focus on service learning from the get-go of our work, and you know, we're wanting to extend that into this study abroad experience as well.
0: Dr. Campos, could you tell me why? Um, what? Why is it important? These service learning projects. Why are they so important? Because when I went on study abroad, I also had similar uh, service learning projects where I worked with nonprofits, profits in South Africa. I taught English uh-huh. in China. But why are these uh, service learning projects so important here in the U.S. and in your study abroad program?
2: Sure, uh, I can address that. But I I did want to kind of add, just if I may, Mm -hmm. to Victor's point about your question about uh, how we're engaging with this issue of masculinity, right? And I think Victor's exactly right. You know, indigenous communities have been pushing this notion of, uh, you know, going beyond the binary uh, gender binary and in uh, the mushe community is, is a great example of that, right? And there's other indigenous communities as well that are there. but the mushe probably have gotten most uh, attention. and uh, and so we wanted to kind of share that uh, experience with the students. We won't be able to do that. Uh, we're we're thinking of a kind of a plan B to be able to interact with uh, that community. Maybe we can do it virtually. So, uh, but again, it allows us to do a deeper dive into these, these uh, issues. And, you know, we're, we're relying on a core text by Aida Hortado called Beyond Machismo, right? And we already engage in those conversations with the pictures pointing out the impact class that we teach uh, in our service learning class. And we also have students in our signature class read uh, a chapter from that book. And so this is kind of about addressing the, the problem that is machismo, right? And how that's going kind to of be embedded in our notions of What it means to be a man, and questions of identity for for men, and and uh, you know, masculinity doesn't have to be toxic, right? It could be. There's positive forms of masculinity, and so we kind of explore uh, through that text and through our classes, class class discussions, and the service learning component that we try to integrate into the classes we offer here, but also uh, the service learning in Mexico would provide another level of engagement for our students, right? And I was able to, when I was doing the Costa Rica, uh, we had three or four organizations that we had the students uh, match up with, right? There was an environmental uh, organization, there was a couple of schools that we visited, uh, and that just kind of takes that that experience to another level, right? And and, uh, uh, service learning, I think, kind of brings the real world into the classroom. And that's kind of one way of kind of describing service learning is that you're not just dealing with abstract concepts <clears throat> and teaching from a book. You're also kind of, uh, you know, making those conversations more concrete. And so by bringing them out to the organizations and we had hoped in, in with, uh, we, hoped in Puebla to work with. we had hoped in Pueblo to work with some of the uh, some of the local schools and and interact with the students for some of the professors. Right. As part of that experiential learning But we're going to have to kind of scale that back a lot because of COVID-19. So, yeah, I think service learning is a key part of this. And we always plan on integrating it from the very beginning. And we try to integrate it in all the classes that uh, Victor and I teach, right, Uh, kind of just adds another level of uh, pedagogy and and teaching. right? So I think it's really important to do that.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. I was going to ask you guys, what would a uh, typical day um, look like for a student on your program? Um, if if that's something that's well, not too hard to answer,
1: we we haven't had a typical day yet, so but like a, in theory, we would be we would be guessing on this one mm-hmm. for sure. But I think for one, you know, we are gonna meet about ten to twelve times there at, at uh, Universidad de Las Americas in Puebla, and or or whatever designated site they tell us we can meet in. Um, but you know, I, I, the the courses that emin and I have taught have always been very hands on, sort of seminar style great audience, uh, audience, student participation uh, and engagement. And so it's a smaller group. It's only about 10 students. So we're definitely going to be, you know, having a lot of FaceTime together. And, uh, you know, that said, you know, we're always going to have a home base there at the, the site that we're going to meet. But then also, we still hope to incorporate some excursion and visits into the community, you know, within reason, of course, abiding by all the guidelines that they give us. Um, but yeah, we're going to make the most of the time there. Obviously, we're going all the way there. We got to yeah. take full advantage, yeah, of course. Um, and so yeah, we anticipate our students. A typical day would be, you know, we have texts that we're using to help engage in the conversation, and then we're going to add experiential components in the community as as appropriate um, to further enrich the learning, either to culturally enrich to cultural enrichment, visits to museums and local libraries, other uh geographic sites in that area i mean you know there's so much there so and 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 part of this is we're going to be learning too because we're getting to know the area you know yes we went to visit a couple years ago but you know it was kind of a a a few short days it was certainly not enough to really immerse ourselves in the way that uh, we will this time around so that's kind of a little bit of a breakdown of how we anticipate those days going yeah.
2: Says just- We're gonna also. Uh, you mentioned food, man. So there's gonna be a rich culinary experience as well, man. Because we, you know, if you're in Mexico and in Puebla, and Mexico City, you got to, got to share that rich uh, history, a tradition, uh, experience with the students, right? So we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, fold in uh, some meals and and uh, and kind of experience uh, all that uh, rich culinary history in Pueblo. Pueblo has a rich wow. tradition in of course Mexico City as well so and you know the other thing we'll add too is is uh, we're going to uh, match the, we're going to uh, create teams right and a lot of our instruction is also project based mm. and so we're going to have our students break up into groups and we're going to have them work together on projects uh, together uh, and so you know that'll translate into in classroom and out of classroom, outside of classroom experiences as well but uh, and then present at the end of the Four weeks together as a team, right? And that's how we do our our signature classes and our impact classes. And this is about building that community within the classroom space, right? And that's how you do it, right? By bringing together students and, and empowering them, right, to, to work together, but also to lead some of these class uh, uh, discussions, right? Because you know we do a seminars approach and uh, a form of pedagogy in our classes. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, Professors wait until uh, graduate level work to do that, but I believe strongly right, in that. Right, in empowering students to be able to take on and present on the materials, right? And they and they go, you know, lift up themselves up to that those uh, that bar, right? And uh, I'm pretty impressed uh, with what our freshmen and sophomores are able to do. You know, capable of being able to to really lead those conversations in the classroom in a really powerful way. So we're going to replicate some of that as well in. in uh, in uh,
0: Puebla. It's amazing. And, and, you know, just talking from, I've, I'm sure you've seen this as well, Dr. Campos leading, um, uh, st- other study abroad's, Um, but like, uh, you, you, as students, you just become a family, you know, living 30 days together, it, you're eating together, you're experiencing everything together. It's great It's, um, you see the power of community and, um, how we're all kind of wired to, um, uh, really, uh, you bond with uh, just by spending quality time, you know, the, one of the big benefits of going abroad is that sometimes you won't have access to the internet. So you're forced to like, talk to the people around you, talk to the people you're living with, ask deep questions, you know, and um, you read my mind with a uh, food. I was about to ask you guys about food because I know I've been asking you guys these very interview style questions, but I want to hear about your experiences in Puebla. I know you only spent two days. Tell me about the food. Is there anything that, uh, that stands out that you were like, Oh man, I miss this, or I'm gonna recreate that in my house. Yeah, yeah well, that I mean,
1: that's gonna be a big part of the experience, as Emmett said. We, we definitely realized pretty quickly that that particular region of Mexico, some of the world's finest cuisine emerges from Puebla, and that's not an exaggeration. I mean that. <sighs> The uh, the mole poblano is uh, world famous, right? And so mm. um, you know, it starts with that, but uh, it, oh. it, believe me, it's got a lot more to go from there. So you know, we just scratched the surface. I know when we were there, but definitely had our full share of uh, culinary experiences both in Puebla and in Mexico City. So uh, you know, we're we're excited about that. I know that's another way to that you know as. As, uh, you know, people visiting a new country, that's how you can really push yourself and challenge yourself and try new things and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, experiencing new tastes and smells and all that. So, you know, and that there's no question that's going to be a big, big highlight of our trip. Oh, man.
2: Yes, and you can't forget the rellenos, right? The rellenos <laughs> that we had, Victor. Uh, oh yeah! Wow, and, and, and the chili rellenos, man. They do a special version of it. It's a really rich white sauce that they put on the rellenos, right? And you know that was the thing when I traveled to Mexico six those six months. I couldn't believe the variety. I thought I knew enchiladas, right? And then you know mm. you been and where you're at in Mexico, they make their enchiladas vastly different, right? You know. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, the fillings are different depending on what part of the, Mex- the tamales as well. Right. As we are further south, they became they started to get wrapped in banana leaves. Right. And of mm-hmm. course, I never eaten tamales and banana leaves. And they were like this big. Right? <laughs> so so but but the other thing, Victor, I thought you were going to tell the story. about when we went to Mexico City, we went to a restaurant and we ordered uh, uh, grasshoppers, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: oh. Oh, Chapulines, uh, yeah
2: Chapulines, right and, and I thought And we had an opportunity To, to sample them at a mercado Because we were lucky We were there in Mexico City There was a huge market Mercado And indigenous uh, communities From all over Mexico Were there for the week And they were You know, they had music And and dance yeah. And they had all these uh, exhibits And so it was really great And they were serving Some chapulinas at the time I said, no, nah, maybe not this time But But, you know After a beer or two, sometimes, you know, that kind of encourages you, makes you a little braver. (laughs) So, so, so after, uh, you know, beer, we said, hey, let's do it. So, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we polished off that bowl of uh, of grasshopper. So, yeah, there's going to be that too. Hopefully uh, we we can convince our students to do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he Emma definitely was the one more adventurous on that front. But uh
0: I did try them. I think he ate the bulk of them, though. <laughs> I think that's the important part, though. If if anybody goes abroad, you got to try the weird stuff. You oh, know, yeah. China they had scorpions on it, a and it's, and it's stick.
2: weird for us, right? Yeah, but it's not necessarily weird for for uh, locals. Exactly, right? they've been eating this stuff forever. Uh There's something, you know, the uh, the, the the thing, the corn. What is it? That corn. Uh, We la coche or something. It's a corn fungus. I think there was an option for us to eat that. And there's some other stuff that I may not venture to do. Right? You know.
0: Yeah. Uh, You you want to leave what you know at home? You know, because what you think is normal is that that's the U.S. normal. You want to leave that in at the U.S. and you want to come to Mexico. Just oh, this is normal. Okay, let's give it a try. Let's let's try to be normal here. Let's try to be normal. Right.
1: Well, you're giving us some good tips. That's you know for uh, our our upcoming trip for sure. Because you're right. It's so, you know, it's hard to get out of this bubble sometimes. And whether it's uh, poor Internet or new foods or mm-hmm. new people and traditions and culture, you know, everything about the this is a full immersive experience that we're looking forward to. And, you know, I think the hard part, honestly, will be to unplug and to enjoy that time because uh you know so much of what we do especially as a, as a I'm a department chair as well you know mm-hmm. the work just kind of follows me right so I'm going to I'm going to have to force myself to disconnect whenever I can and and just be present and engaged with our students and in this whole experience so um I'm I'm saying that out loud because I need to sort of you know put it out there so that I I can it, it, definitely it, it, do that
2: and it's going to be tough to do because, you know, the work still continues back home, right? You know, yeah, we yep. still got our consortium work. we still got our mentoring to do, our mm-hmm. research. And so that work continues. So you know, we can't completely uh, divorce ourselves from that, but we're going to sure try, right? So mm-hmm. when we're down there next week.
0: I think that would be a great idea because from what I've seen, all you really need is at least one student who 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 takes the baton from you. If they see you, oh, they're trying new stuff. You All you need is that one student who's going to be the leader for the rest of the student's And then you can kind of sit back and just watch the magic happen as they go out Mm -hmm. on their adventures and they explore new foods and, you know, they'll come up with things that you, you're like, wow, that's a thing (laughs) that like you, it'll shock you. Um, But I I think um, you guys leading by example would definitely um, help out, but also your activities are just going to make people adventurous. So um, I know we're running out of time here, um, but uh, I did want to ask you guys possibly if uh, very quickly, what... um, what did your experiences abroad, you know, you guys mentioned these several experiences that you've had abroad, uh, teach you about the United States?
1: Go ahead, I mean, you've actually done more of this than I have, so.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of referenced that earlier, uh, Cesar, when I said that it 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 puts you in a different perspective. You know, I mean, like I say, we live in, an in we're insulated a lot of times uh, within the U.S., right? And, you know, you yeah. have to really... Step outside of that bubble, you know that is the U.S. of A. Right, and and everything that happens with that, whether you're talking about media education, all the different institutions, that uh, kind of I think work against us being more open-minded, more globally-minded. Uh, I think, and so, you know, you have to you have to step out of that bubble. You know, mm-hmm. there's w- ways you could do it when you're in the U.S., but certainly you if you step outside physically you really it really changes your perspective right and it in it mm-hmm. uh you know then you can you can step in people's shoes that, that you know are outside of the u.s and understand where they're coming from a lot of times you know because we don't always get the full story the true story in, yeah. in in media for example right you know uh and so i think stepping outside and seeing the U.S. from the outside changes your perspective. You know, it, it, it internationalizes you, I think, right? You know, uh, we talked about kind of transnational perspectives. And so the only way to really fully embrace that idea and perspective is to step outside of, of the U.S. And, and doing it from Mexico, right, with that history that Mexico and the U.S. has had, you know, over the, the, the centuries, the decades and the centuries, right? Yeah. You understand where they're coming from when they have this kind of anti- Yankee, anti-U.S. Uh, attitude, you know, you understand it when you step in in, in those spaces uh, in Mexico, right? You understand where that kind of that relationship uh, historically was built and then why you have some of the challenges that, that mm. you have now uh, between U.S.-Mexico relations, right? And so I think uh, stepping outside of that bubble helps, right, and changes your perspective about things. and And when you come back, you're a changed person, no question about it. I yeah. mentioned at the beginning you know, it's transformative and it really is in m- multiple ways but it transforms your perspective on a number of things including maybe your relationship with the u.s uh, your government uh, that kind of thing so
0: yeah yeah um you know i completely agree that uh, the uh in thailand i had a friend who told me because you're talking about judging he told me uh the buddha teaches you to not to judge anything until you experience it for yourself. And um, I thought that was just an awesome quote. You know, if, if you, you think you know a country, but don't judge it until you go experience it for yourself. Um, last question, one sentence answer here. Uh, let's say you could give a message to every study abroad student before they got on their flight. What would you tell them, Dr. Science? One sentence. Or one quick message. <sighs> what do you want to tell them?
1: I would say... Be open to new possibilities, new experiences, new ways of seeing and viewing the world. Mm
0: -hmm. Dr. Campos?
2: Wow, uh, Victor kind of stole my thunder there because that was my line, right? Be open to experiences and and don't be afraid to try new things and and, uh, approach Mexico with an open mind. You may have some preconceived notions about Mexico, but uh, they're going to change. You know, and and in the next four weeks, you're gonna you're gonna see Mexico in a whole different light. You're gonna see Puebla in a whole different light. Mexico City in a whole different light. And hopefully, some of these topics, right? These issues about you know, you know how you see yourself as because uh, a lot of our students are Latinx, Mexicanos, Mexicanos, mostly Mexicanos, right? Mm-hmm. This is why we do the work that we do, right? We have a challenge. We're challenged with getting guys to participate in stuff like this. So last year, we you know, out of eighteen students, sixteen were female, a couple of guys this year they're all women except for one guy right and so this is my kind of uh you know, changing your perspective
0: on how you see Mexico being open to that, that possibility. So. Gotcha. Um, thank you both so much for coming on the show. I really respect the work that you guys are doing. And I think you guys uh, are really changing lives. Like my life was changed. I know everybody who went on a study abroad was changed. If you guys ever need any help um, with anything, I'm, I'm your resource now. Um, I'm really appreciative for, for you guys taking the time uh, to come on here. If people want to find your work, uh, they can go to uh, the project Mails website at UT austin correct and um your emails are on the ut austin website if they want to reach out Um, thank you so much for coming on and to everyone listening uh we'll talk to you next time hey there if you enjoyed this episode well green light New episodes of The Dose of Caesar come out every week, so make sure to follow and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. If you feel that more people should listen to this podcast, and share this episode with your tribe. If you want to connect with me, or if you just want some extra doses of Caesar, of Caesar, of Caesarine Bingui, then you can sign up for my free weekly email newsletter called The Caesar Encyclopedia, where I share what I learn every week. Or you can reach out to me on Instagram. At the dose of Caesar. We'll see you next time.